0: Y'all can't even score one run for Wayno. Coming up on b Shave Daily. What's going on everybody and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the morning hours of Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. Today we're talking about a Cardinals loss, but more importantly, another loss for Adam Wainwright in particular, who pitched really well. On Monday night at Busch Stadium, the best that we've seen him all year, allowing just one run in six quality innings against the San Diego Padres. But over those same six innings, how many runs did the Cardinal offense provide for Waino in terms of support? A zero. They did not score against Blake Snell in seven shutout innings for the Padres lefty. As Wainwright becomes the hard luck loser, dropping his 10th decision of the season to fall to 3-10. and 10. He has now racked up nine straight losses since his last win. And in his last six starts, Wainwright has been the loser in each, racking up decisions in each of those six games, going 0-6 over that stretch. It has been really tough for Cardinals fans to watch this happen to Adam Wainwright. And largely this year, it has been his own doing. His own inability to get outs, to miss enough bats, to hit enough locations, to be precise enough, to be enough with the stuff that he has at this point in his career, but that was not the case on Monday, and that's what makes Monday sting, I think, even a little bit more. Knowing that Adam Wainwright is still two wins away from the coveted milestone of 200 for his major league career, knowing that this is the final year of Wainwright's career in the big leagues, needs those two wins, and Monday night he pitched well enough to get one of them and didn't get it because the Cardinal offense, despite what Ollie Marmel insists is competitive, at bats and grinding and doing everything that they can to win ball games, despite where they exist in the standings, the Cardinals didn't come up with any support for Wainwright on Monday. It's that age-old conversation that we talked about in the last B. Shaf Daily, and I'm going to continue to bring it up for as long as this Cardinals offense struggles. There are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of explanations. You could even call some of it excuse making, but explanations for why the Cardinal offense might be struggling down the stretch with where it is, and a lot of it I think is valid. First of all, they faced some pretty good pitchers consecutively. Blake Snell was Monday over the weekend. It was Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. That's a pretty tough murderer's row to go up against three days in a row. And the Cardinals, over the last four games, have only scored a combined four runs as a result. Yes, you also have injuries that you're dealing with. I think Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar, the importance of those two players to the Cardinals lineup, with those guys serving as table setters that can get to right-handed pitching and kind of keep the line moving, very invaluable. And we're seeing that over the course of this stretch. And I know you also have guys that you're kind of relying upon because you want to see what they can do for the future. Guys like Mason Wynn. We're seeing more of Luke and Baker. We're seeing a good dose of Alec Burleson, who hasn't done a lot with his playing time recently. We're seeing guys that are less proven at the major league level. The Cardinals are putting them out there and saying, hey, what can these guys show us as we look to formulate our team for 2024? And right now, the answer to that question has been not very much. But you've also seen lackluster play from a lot of the mainstays that do remain in the lineup. And that results in an offense that has scored just 26 runs over the past 12 games. And again, we named some of the reasons. There are other reasons. Sometimes you just slump. That was sort of the explanation that Ollie Marmol gave on Monday night. That there are guys who maybe aren't feeling great at the plate right now. He said some are, some aren't. You always feel like we don't get the full explanation uh, of what's going on behind the scenes because there are things that Ollie Marmol can say that even if they were true, I think would get twisted by the fan base and people would say, hey, that's evidence of Ollie Marmol's incompetence. There are people out there that you won't be able to please right now because the Cardinals are 20 games below 500, and fans don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't be upset. You should be. This is a disaster season by any measure, the worst in my lifetime following the Cardinals. And probably the same for many of you out there. It's bad. It There's no sugarcoating it. But at the same time, I've talked a lot about how you can't necessarily stay in that mode of, I want blood, I have angst, I am angry every single day watching this team because this they're not that way anymore. There was a time this year where you could feel the thickness of the angst in the clubhouse. It doesn't feel that same way because they know that the losses have mounted to the extent that there's nothing they can do about it anymore. They can win games moving forward, and they're going to try to do that. And I don't question that they're giving effort in, in in the process, but there's something different to the human nature of it all when you know that you're not playing for a potential playoff bid this year. Like That's a fact at this point for the Cardinals, and they can be giving their 100% effort every moment of every game. I Again, I won't dispute that. I'm sure they are. But at the same time, there's a there's a different layer to it when you're playing for something, right? And again, we've talked about how Arenado has mentioned, oh, there's a lot of things you can play for in this game. It's not just like you're mailing it in. And I get that part of it. But it's something different to be playing for meaningful September baseball that can hopefully turn into meaningful October baseball. The Cardinals will not play one meaningful September baseball game this year. And that hasn't been true in a long, long time. I cannot, In my lifetime, I don't think it's been the case. Maybe in the mid-90s as I was a little one, and the Cardinals were still kind of in that, in that lull of the 90s where they didn't do a whole lot. But I'm talking for an entire month of September. There's not going to be one meaningful game played. There's meaning to some of the individual accolades that are still on the table. Adam Wainwright's still searching for number 200. He's got to get number 199 first. Last night was a great opportunity for him to do that. He pitched pretty well. Yeah, he gave up eight hits, but that's that's going to be the version of Adam Wainwright pitching well that we see moving forward. He's going to give up some hits. He's going to try to scatter them. He's going to leave them on base. He's going to get a little bit of Babbitt luck to go his direction. The balls are going to bounce his way on occasion, and, and he's going to be able to turn in those types of quality starts. He had, had the third one of the season yesterday, the first game all year for Wayno, where he allowed fewer than two earned runs. Six innings, one run. Yeah, just one strikeout. Had a few swing and misses, though, on the curveball. The curveball looked a little bit sharper for Wayno yesterday. But, man, given the way the season has gone for him, If you're the Cardinals and you recognize what it would mean to Adam Wainwright to get 200 wins, again, I don't want to be the guy questioning the effort because it's one thing for me to sit here at my computer with a microphone in front of my face and talk about what these guys are doing for their livelihoods and their careers. I want to be respectful of that. At the same time, though, we're analyzing what's going on with this team, and it's just been putrid. Don't claim to be an elite offensive team and have this level of a slump going on to where... Listen, the full season numbers, those tell the story. I remember back to Paul Goldschmidt talking about earlier in the season when this all kind of started to build for the Cardinals and it seemed like the year wasn't going the way that they had hoped it would. He said, look, we can say we're getting baseballed right now and we're having some luck that doesn't go our way. But at the end of 162, at the end of a full six-month season, there won't be room for any of that. We'll be what the record says that we are. And right now, you can say, well, recently this little 12-game slump the Cardinals are in from an offensive perspective, where I think only a couple of games of the 12 have they scored even more than like two or three runs. It's been really, really bleak. You can say that's just a microcosm. That's just a, a, a snapshot of the season. It's not the entire thing. But the numbers for the entire thing show what team you are. After 162 games, man, that's a sample size. That is plenty to be able to dictate what type of team you were. And there are teams that have good players that have bad years. I think you're seeing some examples of that across baseball this year. The Cardinals are only one such example. The Mets have a lot of talent. They haven't figured out how to be a team. The Padres have a ton of talent. Adam Wainwright last night talking about the Padres lineup, that he was able to hold the one run over six innings. And by the way, the guy that got him was Matt Carpenter. He won't be on the Padres next year. But the Padres next year... Adam Wainwright says could win 100 games. He says that's a really talented team. Which, okay, given his credit to the opponent, that's a, a nice thing to say. I think it is true, though, that they're, they're playing below their talent level. Padres have Machado and Juan Soto and good pitchers like Blake Snell. They just, it hasn't clicked for them for whatever reason this year. But for the Cardinals, man, it's been the same story. But how much of that is real and how much of that is just going to be chalked up to, well, you we got baseball. Like, over a full season, you got baseballed? No, like there's something underlying going on that whether it's the coaching, a lot of Cardinals fans want to say it's the coaching. I have a hard time with that one, especially when you consider that the two most prominent coaches, not talking about the manager, but the, the coaching staff, hitting coach, pitching coach, are both in the first year of their role as the head hitting coach, head pitching coach, Turner Ward and Dusty Blake. That has coincided with an all-time brutal season for the Cardinals. And not just pitching, offensively as well. This is a team that does not take advantage of their opportunities, does not take advantage of even the, the, the numbers that they produce, you could argue. Cardinals rank ninth in MLB in OPS. Pretty good measure of how you do as an offensive unit. On-base percentage plus slugging percentage OPS. 753 OPS. That ranks ninth in baseball. It's solid. You take that. Runs scored, they're 17th in MLB. That's in the bottom half. That's, I mean... D- It's a measure of what you are. They don't find clutch ways to produce runs. And you might be able to chalk up a lot of it. We've already talked about this recently, but it bears mentioning again after Monday because the Cardinals had a bases-loaded situation with one out in the fourth inning, consecutive strikeouts to end the threat by Andrew Kisner and Jordan Walker. The, the, The runners in scoring position woes are one thing, but it's been even more pronounced this season for the Cardinals with the bases loaded. Get a load of this. I mean, it is as bleak as it gets for the Cardinals who rank 30th out of 30 MLB teams in batting average with the bases loaded. And you might say, well, batting average is not the end-all, be-all. No, it's not. But with the bases loaded, it is kind of an important measure because it takes a hit to get a run home. A walk can get a run home. So on-base percentage is worth noting as well, I suppose, if you had a, a walk or a hit-by-pitch with the bases loaded. Cardinals rank dead last in on-base percentage with the bases loaded. 212 OBP with the base loaded. Miami second to worst at 236. In the batting average category, the Minnesota Twins are second to worst at 192. Cardinals again at 176. So you have to get a guy on base, have him hit, have him walk, have him do something to score a minimum of one run. It is a necessity. The Cardinals only six from the bottom when it comes to slugging percentage. So then when they do get the rare hit, they might hit a double or something better. But usually it is abject failure. The Cardinals are the worst team in baseball with the bases loaded. Why is that? Everybody's going to be searching for answers because when you have a statistic like that for a team that, you know, generally solid enough offense, I'm not going to, you can't call them elite anymore. Not the way that they're performing. These games count. I know that we've all sort of mentally checked out and that is, I think, what had to be done for everybody's mental well-being. Again, you cannot go through this entire month of August, be watching this team day after day and, and invest in that emotionally. Because it will, not, it will not be good for you because they're going to continue to let you down. In part because of the way that they're designed. Because they traded away 40% of their starting rotation at the deadline and it was the good 40%, unfortunately. Which is why you have prospects now in the organization that you can hope will help you over the next couple of years. Takoa double A prospect from the Texas Rangers organization. Had missed a lot of time this year with a shoulder injury, but recently pitched in his debut for Springfield. Six strikeouts over three innings. There's some swing and miss. Drew Rahm, we saw him kind of get lit up in his first big league start, but the last one was pretty good over the weekend. I think five and two-thirds, a couple of runs, solid. Not quite a quality start, but good. Has some some swing and miss ability in his game. Thomas Sejasey, we've, we've done a podcast about him just going absolutely bananas at the double-A level. He's going to be in triple-A before long, and if not, knocking on the door by spring training next year to say, hey, I want to make this team in St. Louis. I think that's a possibility for him. You you got a lot of solid pieces at the deadline. It had to be done, trading away the guys that they traded away. But what does it leave behind is a roster that just is not going to be able to project to compete from a pitching standpoint. But that's what's so frustrating about Monday. Adam Wainwright's still here. He's been statistically their worst starting pitcher this year. But he gave you a good one on Monday, and for a team that has not really a lot to play for in terms of the standings, you're playing for pride, but you can also play for your teammate to get him a milestone. Adam Wainwright looking for win number 200. He needs two more and didn't get it on Monday, despite pitching pretty well. Thought it was interesting after the game, Adam Wainwright talking about, he was actually asked by Ethan Hannaford, who is the uh, booth assistant for KMOX. asked, hey, why were you uh, wearing the the long pants look today? No high socks. He said, well, I was recently watching some video from 2014 and uh, thought I looked pretty studly in the long uh, the long pants, no high socks, Wayno said. So he said he would figure he'd try it. He shaved his beard like he's doing anything to try and get the superstitions on his side. He said, I'm not overly superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. No, he didn't say that. But he said, we got to try to get this train rolling in the right direction. So I'm willing to try anything and pitched pretty well as a result. But it was interesting to hear why he was looking into the 2014 video. He said that was the year of his career that he felt like he was most in command mentally of everything that was going on in the game and on the mound. He felt like he was three steps ahead of every hitter that he was facing back in 2014. And I think, you know, I, I got a comment on Twitter that was like this, and I said, honestly, you you guys, I kind of lumped him in with the, the Twitter clan that just always has something negative to say, which, again, I get it. Cardinals fans, I'm not trying to talk down on you too much. There are some out there that just want to look at all the negatives, and it's negative. It sucks. This year sucks. But at the same time, I'm sitting here getting these same messages day after day, and eventually I'm just like, look, dude, find something else to talk about if, it, if it's not bringing you joy to talk about this team. I get it, but enough. And even after a good moment, Adam Wainwright, six innings, one run, the comment was something like, I, I mentioned this this little anecdote from 2014 where he said, I was watching video from that year specifically because I was trying to get back into and remember and recall the mindset that I had and how I was able to, you know, mentally be so effective and and be so locked in and people say, well, why didn't you do that the whole year this year? You'd be much better. Well, yeah, no duh. But like, I think people just don't always appreciate they can sit from their couch and watch it. They can, I'm doing it. I'm guilty of at times as well, but I don't think people fully appreciate like what it takes to operate as a professional athlete on that level. And it's not just as simple as saying, oh yeah, in 2014, I was awesome. Let me just get back into that headspace. Like that, that's a, that's a, thing you got to learn and teach yourself to do in and of itself, and you also don't have the physical traits that you had back in 2014, if you're Adam Wainwright. He said 2013 was the strongest he ever felt physically, but 2014 was where he added the mental element to that and was able to really find some success, and he said it was fun pitching out there. But he talked a lot about just the movement and the location and the, the way that he would approach hitters. He said he had the X game going. He talked about cutting, sinking, pitch up, pitch in, pitch down, pitch out. Being able to just manipulate the baseball in the ways that he wanted, and know from like a strategic standpoint, impact that that would have on a hitter, and be able to just like he said, be uh, three steps ahead. Just a fascinating insight to the psyche of a major league pitcher and one that has done this role successfully for a long, long time in the big leagues. And said he was able to implement a little bit of that yesterday. But you know, yeah, sure, it'd be great if if we had hindsight and it was perfect twenty twenty vision. You could go, all right, Wayne, no, all you got to do is is just capture that mindset when you're dealing with shoulder injuries and you're dealing with trying to just find a way to get through Just go back to, to May or June and capture that mindset and that the season will be better. You'll get to 200 by, by the all-star break and everything will be great. All right, whatever. Like, I, I just don't think we always appreciate how difficult this is to do at the level that these guys are trying to do it. And yeah, the Cardinals are operating at a level that's a little bit lower or maybe a lot of bit lower than the rest of the league this year, but it, I think it's gotten to a point where you just talk it up and say it happens, but it can't happen again next year. And that's why I, I caution a little bit to say, all right, I trust, and people don't like hearing this, that I continue to, to stand by and say, you know, I trust Ollie Marmel and think he's a good manager to guide this team into the future. I also think that there's never been a manager that sounds smart when his team is 20 games below 500. It's never happened in Major League history. And now more than ever in Major League history, managers not only have to meet with the writers every day and and – Those guys get out their notepads, and and it shows maybe a quote will show up in the newspaper the next morning. Now it's writers, and you've got TV and radio, and a lot of times, almost every time, the post-game interview with the manager has TV cameras on it that's going to be aired, not live, but moments later, and then it shows up on social media and on Twitter. I don't think Bally put up the Ollie stuff from yesterday, uh, but usually they do. And he's got to say something every day because people are going to be asking the questions, and right now those questions are rather repetitive because it's the same old story for the Cardinals every single day. They're not scoring runs. They say they've got a pretty good offense. Why aren't you hitting? That's what everybody wants to know. And Ollie blinked a little bit yesterday when I asked about, you know, everybody's just trying to think of different ways to ask the same questions right now and and see if they're going to get a different answer with a little bit more insight. And again, those answers, I'm just going to be frank with you, usually don't come when Ollie Marmel is on TV. Unfortunately, that's the version of Ollie Marmel that you guys see, but you get to see him after the heat of battle and if it's a loss as it has been many times this year, you don't necessarily end up getting the chipper version of him. The, the the reflective version that's able to kind of sit back and go, okay, yeah, you know, kind of candidly, here's what we're dealing with here. It's just in the heat of the moment and he's he's got the lights on him. And that's, again, I think some empathy is good. Again, I'm not saying that Ollie Marmel has done a great job this year. The Cardinals are a losing organization this season. And I think everybody involved bears some level of responsibility for that. But it's just like with the coaching thing when I talk about, okay, let's evaluate the hitting coach and the pitching coach. Why aren't those guys able to fix what's going on here? It's a delicate balance. First of all, because they're, they're in year one of their roles is why it's a delicate balance for me to try and articulate, you know, okay, how good of a job or bad of a job are these guys doing? Well, we really only have the results to look at. And I don't think in the public eye we're ever going to really have the level of detail and insight that the organization can have behind closed doors as to what those guys are or are not doing. They continue to tell us that the coaches are doing a fantastic job and it's not their fault. I wouldn't expect them to say anything differently. I'm not just going to take them at the, the company line and the party line and say, oh, that's true, they're wonderful coaches. We, we don't see day in and day out what actually goes on, the level of detail and effort being put into trying to turn this thing around. We don't get to see all of that. I assume it's happening because I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, even if it was just kind of a learning curve for coaches in the first year of their role with this team, both guys were on the, the coaching staff last year, but they've been elevated into new roles. And it unfortunately has coincided with a period where, based on everything else going on, we've talked about the various reasons that this season has gone off the rails. Largely, it started with the front office not addressing the pitching the way that they needed to appropriately in the offseason last year uh, and, and kind of snowballed into other things that have gone wrong and the rule changes in the WBC and everything. You can could, you could lump, okay, fresh coaching staff that's not really familiar with one another. I think is absolutely a factor. I don't know how much we'll ever figure out the, the extent of that. But I think it's it would be natural to assume it would take time for a coaching staff to gel. And you got to realize that Dusty Blake in a new role, Turner Ward in a new role, Matt Holliday going to be the bench coach taking over for Skip Schumacher, who did a fantastic job. I think his departure, people talk about it, but I also think it's people don't fully realize how instrumental he was. As Ollie Marmals' right hand man. Matt Hall, they decides month later, nope, don't want to be the bench coach. Season's about to start. They're about to to trek down to Jupiter, Florida in mid January. They're a couple of weeks away from, from spring training opening. Gotta find a bench coach. Joe McEwing, I think they lucked out to get him, honestly, because he's a, a veteran of that position and has done it for many, many years at the big league level. But also he didn't have a lot of familiarity with that coaching staff. The way that I mean, again, Skip Schumacher was was integrated. They had they had the thing going on. Jeff Albert leaving as the hitting coach, Mike Maddox leaving as the pitching coach. Those things, you know, I don't claim to know the full details of how that went down. We do know what we do know what happened, and that those guys are both in roles with other teams now. The conspiracy theorists will want to to latch onto that and say, "Oh, there's something there. There's a smoking." I don't know what it is. If there is something, I don't know what it is. But I'm not going to dispute the, the idea that there could be something more to the stories than what we heard. It is a little bit fishy to see Mike Maddox say, oh, "I want to step back into a lower level role where I'm not as hands on." Don't have to do as much travel. And then a few weeks later, he's the Rangers pitching coach. Like, okay, clearly that was, you know, clearly some wires got crossed with the story that we all were told, which is fine. You know, those those things happen in business, but it's just another example of, okay, this coaching staff, if you feel like it's, they're the problems, what is it about them that you don't like other than the results? Because I would make the case that results can be bad from a a player perspective that guys just aren't executing, aren't getting the job done, or maybe they're not, as a collective unit, good enough, talented enough. I think there's a lot of talent on this team, but the roster, the depth of this roster has certainly fallen off as the years has gone along. These guys have been traded from a pitching perspective, plus injured from a pitching perspective, and then from an offensive perspective, the injuries have certainly mounted more recently. Lars Newbar, Brennan Donovan, Dylan Carlson, number of guys that are no longer, or at least currently not on the active roster and guys that are largely instrumental to what they're trying to do offensively day in and day out. So it can be the players' faults. It can be a coalition of these efforts and it's just not syncing up. If this were year four, year five of a, of a pitching hitting coach duo, I would say, all right, there's more of a track record to say, all right, here's how it's looked in previous years. Why is it different? What's happening? We can try and evaluate. Again, we'll never be able to evaluate it effectively the way that they can on the inside because we just don't see it all unless something gets reported that happened that, is, is kind of tough to, to leak out if it's all happening behind closed doors. But it's just really, like, I just want to sit back and recognize and acknowledge it's a different difficult thing to evaluate the job of a hitting coach, a pitching coach. You all we can do is look at the stats for the most part, and and, and read what what gets written and what gets reported. You, you might glean something from that, but largely that's going to be stuff that's just not ever going to come to light. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? I guess sometimes if it's good, you'll get more. You know, there was the whole deal about Jordan Hicks moving to the other side of the rubber, and that was something that really clicked in some things for him. Like, the good little quips that come from somewhere end up getting talked about, obviously, and the the things that are just bad performance, you don't always necessarily know the lengths that are being taken behind closed doors to try and get those things fixed. And if they don't get fixed, nothing really may come to light about it, right? But year one for those coaches in those roles, I think it's a difficult thing to evaluate because there isn't that history to fall back on, that track record to be able to compare it to. It's the whole correlation versus causation idea. Like these events are correlated. We see that new coaches come in. The the performance on the the field has declined this year. We know those two things are true objectively, but did the one cause the other? I'm inclined to believe no, not by itself, not single-handedly did losing experienced coaches and Mike Maddox and Jeff Albert, create a different scenario a void that needed to be filled and that realistically could be difficult to fill by a new group of coaches in year one I think that's probably right on the button but is it a fair way to to phrase it that well these coaches are no good and that's why this decline has happened and or, or why the decline when it did happen they, they weren't able to turn it around as quickly because these coaches are no good I don't I don't think that's necessarily the thread. It might be true. I don't know, but I think you need more than a year to find that out. Especially when when we talk correlation versus causation, you can have a whole lot of other elements that were correlated, right? The, the decline in performance on the field was also correlated to new rules that were put into place. Shift ban, pitch clock. Also correlated to a lot of the roster being gone for the WBC early in the year, which is kind of when things immediately started to go off the rails. I'm not saying that's the reason the season's been bad. They've had months and months and months since the World Baseball Classic in order to get things back on track. But there's a lot of things that are out there, and some of them might just be coincidental. Some of them might – there might be causation there that has contributed to why the Cardinals are struggling or have struggled all year. New catcher, which is the quarterback of the organization, and they had a really, really good one, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback before. Now Yadier Molina's gone, and, and they – kind of just slapped some flex seal on it, some expensive flex seal, and said, this will be fine. This is how it works, right? And they found out very quickly that, no, it's not how it works. Wilson Contreras has largely been who he's been for his whole career, and probably there should have been some level of anticipation by the Cardinals that you're asking him or expecting him to do things that maybe are not within his skill set because he's not Yadier Molina, and very few ever have been. But those are just some general thoughts that I wanted to get down on this because I know that it's been it's become a lot more of a talking point for fans. How much of the blame do, does a coaching staff need to bear for this? I think it needs to be like internally. Absolutely. They should be analyzing the roles of every coach and trying to discern where things have gone wrong. But I also think that the front office has largely in the way that John Moselak has talked about things since about midsummer, he has taken the brunt of it and said, it's it's on me and it's on the front office We got it wrong. We didn't get the players necessary to compete the way we thought we were going to compete this year. And when you put that on yourself and on the front office, it it can absolve some of the blame of the coaching staff because Mo has even said, like, the coaches have done a great job. They didn't basically pick these players. We did. And when that happens, you you can kind of take some bullets for a coaching staff that's a little green, a little bit under-experienced relative to what you had in previous years, new bench coach, new hitting coach, new pitching coach, manager in his second year, by falling on the sword, which I think is necessary because I think a lot of Cardinals fans would agree that John Moselock did not have a good offseason last year and did not adequately staff this roster with the pieces that it needed to to compete at a high level. But I also think there's frustration because the front office does its thing, it plops the product onto the field, and then it's up to the coaching staff to make the most out of it. And you could also say that, like, look, this isn't a 95-loss team roster-wise. It should have even been better than this, even though we can all acknowledge that it wasn't enough to win 90 games. It shouldn't have necessarily ended to where it's going to lose 90 games. But this team is going to lose 90 games. It is going to happen. You know, it's not going to get any better now that they've subtracted key pieces at the trade deadline. No, this is like we knew it was going to go this way after August 1st, but it doesn't make it less frustrating, especially when like, again, you can forgive the pitching woes. You just know it's going to be bad. They're cycling through guys. I think there's going to be another roster move on Tuesday that'll come out from the bullpen. Like, there's just they have to do these things because they're just trying to get through the season. But the offense should not be off the hook for the way that it's performing, and if we're going to insist that effort is there, I'm going to take you at your word on that because I don't have the the reporting or the ability to look inside the clubhouse when the doors are closed, and say, nope, these guys aren't trying hard enough. They're not preparing hard enough, and that's the thing that I'm going to latch on to is criticism. I am not in a position where I feel comfortable to do that. But what that means is I can look at the execution and say, "This, like if this is supposed to be the lineup that gets it done in 2024, I've got questions because it's they're not executing at that level. The pitching is what it is, and it's going to be human nature to kind of Feel bad about that and and be up against it because you know the pitching is probably going to struggle, but it's also their jobs at this at this high of a level to grind through that and just compartmentalize and do their jobs offensively. Whatever pitcher you throw out there, give that guy a chance. If he gives up four or five runs, so be it. You you probably should, probably should score three or four or five runs. That's that's what elite offenses do in the against the opposing starting pitcher. And then you should be able to tack on against the bullpen and try to come up with five or six for the game. Not every day are you going to be able to do that, but they've done it twice in 12 days, twice in 12 games. That's not enough. Whoever you pin that on, I'm comfortable with the explanation that it's, it's not effort-based, but that leads to the logical conclusion that there are questions then even more about this roster than just the pitching. Yes, some of it is injuries, and hopefully you get those guys back next year, but also you got to put together the, the depth offensively 2024 that ensures when injuries do happen, because they're inevitable, every team deals with them. You don't just have the opportunity to excuse away a, a multi-week slump like this and say, ah, you know, that's just, we're dealing with some injuries. Okay. So then you're just not ever going to be a contending team again. Like that's not what the Cardinals are saying. And that's not what I believe about what the Cardinals are going to be. But you can understand that if every team just said, well, you know, we got injured, you could, you could excuse away a lot of things year over year and end up as a 90 loss team every season. If the Cardinals are going to say that's not our standard and this is a this is an anomaly rather than the new norm in St. Louis, then certain, you know, certain standards have to be met. If they want to claim that they that they hold themselves to those standards performance-wise, it has to get there or that is the point at which you start saying, okay, reshuffle this organization from the top down and that includes front office, includes field staff, includes players. I think because of the way it has been described by the front office which John Moselak's staff, for good reason, has built up a lot of goodwill over the years because they have done a lot of really good things. This is going to be the first losing season in St. Louis since 2007. That October, John Moselak took over as the head baseball executive. So, hasn't ever happened under his watch. You get one. That's kind of the attitude that I think is being taken uh, by, by like, ownership, Bill DeWitt, because he has been steadfast in his belief in John Moselak, has maintained that he'll finish out his contract in St. Louis. Maybe that changes Maybe it doesn't, but the contract does run through the 2025 season, so we'll see. Just extended him in February. Down at spring training, they talked about it. But if that's going to be the approach, I think I can live with that as somebody that follows and covers this team. But what it means is it has to be a radically different offseason because the Cardinals, through John Moselock and talking about the things that have gone wrong, the front office has fallen on the sword, which, once again, I think is probably necessary because they didn't do enough to prepare this team with the roster that it, that it put together. But if they're going to fall on the sword, that has to mean radically different approach the next time around. If it's the same approach, then then you know there were wires crossed somewhere or, or somewhere the, the situation was not being explained adequately. Because if you say, don't blame the coaches, it's not their fault, it's on us because we put this roster together, then guess what has to change significantly before next year? The roster. Because if it doesn't, it was just words from the front office. And then if the roster changes and you still don't come up with the better results, it becomes either the front office did it again and got the wrong players, didn't identify the right talents to bring in to to, to build a 26-man roster and a 40-man roster and a, a, a 60-man roster, including guys that are potentially going to come up from the minor leagues throughout a season. They didn't get it right again, second off season in a row. That's the point at which there is either no more recourse for a front office and you have to clean house from up top or... You can look at it and say, well, man, the the field staff, the coaching staff that we thought was doing a good job last year, maybe we're wrong and we clean house on that level. But the Cardinals have kind of already done that level a couple times over the last five, six years. Mike Matheny's era, Mike Schilt was supposed to be the guy that came in and fixed it. He did largely improve a lot of things that were untidy from the Matheny era. And then the front office said, no, we need to change again and we believe that this is best. Okay. Okay. That's going to be viewed as very arrogant if you don't make sure to keep up the standard that has been set before when Mike Schilt did a nice job. Like, he only won baseball games, right? Now things have come crumbling down, and Cardinals fans are used to hearing, well, like, why do people say Mike Matheny wasn't a good manager? All he did was win. Yeah, fair enough. Like, that, from what people got to see, if you're just looking at the record, he did he did a nice job. And then things kind of started to taper off a little bit, but never to this level. But the Cardinals had a standard. Back then, and they said, Look, this level of play flirting with 500 is not where things need to be from a record standpoint. And we're seeing things under the surface that are bubbling and that need to you need to stuff it out quickly. So they fired Mike Matheny. It was the right decision. I'm, I'm here to tell you it was the right decision. I don't think many people would dispute that. Bringing in Mike Schilt was the perfect guy at the perfect time because he fixed a lot of the things that had sort of deteriorated or crumbled away in terms of the way the Cardinals went about things. Was it a right decision to move on from Mike Schultz when they did? I I guess time will tell. Again, I think if you look at it through a lens of what was their record when it happened, now what's their record, you're taking too simplistic of a view. There are more things that can go into a team having a season like this than just, oh, the field manager. Ollie Marmol was a great manager last year, right? He looked so smart until the playoffs when people didn't like him because he did things that he absolutely should have done, and I, I think he did a, a good job in the playoff series. People don't want to hear that either. People don't want to accept that a fluke happened that ended the Cardinals season. Ryan Helsley, the finger. Granted, Ollie could have been a little quicker, I think, to adapt to that, and that's part of why things really went off the rails in that playoff game. But at the same time, hours and hours have been spent talking through that, and I, as I look back on it, I still think very difficult and complex situation to to have been put into, and it's just not fun to revisit anymore. But hey, if you think Ollie's a dummy for that and you'll never – Change your mind. I'm not going to convince you, so I can move on. But this season, like, it's been bad, and Ollie a lot of times sounds, you know, contradictory, or there are things that he says that you can pick apart because team's not performing. And you can only say the same thing over and over again before you, you change some things that you say and you try to continue to ha- have the backs of your players and say they're competing, and they, I'm sure they are. But again, execution is not at a very high level right now. So there are things that you can pick apart as a fan base, and no manager has ever sounded smart when he's twenty games below 500. But for me, from the moment that they said, you know what, Mike Shild, we need to move on from this, and we're gonna we're gonna install Ollie Marmel, which I think was a good decision. If they were gonna get rid of Schultz, I think Ollie was a was a great hire. And I think Ollie has the chops to be the manager of this team for a long, long time. But he's got to have the pieces in place in order to do that. But they'll there will eventually come a referendum. I, I think after twenty twenty four or in the middle of twenty twenty four, if it's if it's like this again. There will definitively be a referendum on either John Moselak or Ollie Marmel. I am of the belief that it should and will be John Moselak because, again, your third try hiring a manager over the last handful plus years, you're the one that makes the roster. A baseball executive nearing the end of his term with this team because after 2025 we don't expect him to have a new contract. Like, yeah, maybe a new system is installed and it's a completely new front office setup and those people may want to hire a new field manager. But I don't believe... Like, I, I think Ollie Marmol would be the fall guy if they were to do something on that level. And I'm here to tell you that they will not. Ollie Marmo will not be fired before 2024. Like, it's just not going to happen. I would be baffled. Like, it was surprising when the Schultz thing took place. But if you were going to fire Ollie Marmol before the 2024 season, you would have done it already. It's not going to be like they, they watch him slum through the last couple of months of the season with half a roster and go, Oh, man, they lost 96 games instead of 88. Like, this guy's got to go. They're not being evaluated on wins and losses, the coaching staff right now. You may not like that, but it's reality and it's what's fair because a roster that was already depleted was further tarnished by the trade deadline, which was an, a, a necessary evil in and of itself. But at the same time, like it's not like you can look at this and go, oh, they're losing too many games now. I'm mad. No, they, this is by design. This is the pseudo tank. This is the, 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 the quiet quitting. Not because they're not trying, but the front office set up the roster in a way that it was like a quiet quit because they... They don't have the pieces to win. But they do have the pieces offensively to do more than they've done. If you're going to say the effort's being given, the results should begin to follow at some point. And you can just say, eh, it's baseball, it's happening, baseball is a tough game, and it is. But it, it's tough for everybody and other teams find ways to score more than 26 runs in 12 games. So I'm not saying you can't forgive a, a stretch like this now and again, but at a certain point, the season ends and as a result of too many of those stretches piling up, you're a team that finished 17th in runs scored instead of, this top 10, top eight, top six, top five offense that you claimed to be throughout the year. You are what your numbers say you are at the end of six months. So that's kind of where I am on the entire thing. Whether you're going to go coaching is to blame, you want to say it's a, it's a variety of things and we're going to spend all off season kind of talking about it and seeing how they go about fixing it. But let me know what you think in the YouTube comment section below. I, I've ranted for long enough. Make sure you guys are subscribing to the B Shave Daily podcast on Apple, uh, Apple podcasts and Spotify, Hit subscribe on YouTube as well if you're joy- enjoying this content, enjoying these uh, daily Cardinals conversations. I do want to end on a little bit of a lighter note, I guess. It's Adam Wainwright audio talking about, uh, well, the loss, so maybe not all that light, but this specifically was about facing Matt Carpenter because Carpenter had a couple of hits off of Wainwright yesterday, just classic carp dinking singles into right field, and one of them ends up being the RBI that is is the run that charges Wayno with the loss. He only gave up one run, the Cardinals uh, did not score over seven innings against Blake Snell. By the time they scored on the Goldsmith home run, it was already more than a one-run deficit. So Wainwright ends up being charged with a loss, but it was actually Matt Carpenter that did it to him. But there is one thing that Carp did not do to Wainwright that Wainwright just said, I'm I, i I'm not doing it. I will not allow this to take place. So here's a little bit of Wainwright audio from after the game to wrap things up here on b Shave Daily. Stinky Carp. <laughs> Galley, I'll send him a... We'll send him some room service at four o'clock this morning. Or something. Like uh, but uh, my main focus, other uh, than getting him out, was not—he is not hitting a home run off me. It's not—I'm not—that's not, not, not going to be on my conscience the rest of my life. So uh, there was there was a couple of times where, you know, the right pitch might have been a the ride back sinker on the inside half, but I knew he knew me. And I thought if he's cheating to anything, mm-hmm. it'll be that. Just to just to throw one over the fence and have mm-hmm. that on me for the rest of my life. And I'm not I'm not gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Not gonna do it. So kinda of funny there from Cardinals pitcher Adam Wainwright after last night's four to one loss to the Padres, getting the perspective on the matchup with Matt Carpenter. It was nice to see Carpenter get a good ovation from the Cardinals fans that were in attendance. Not a lot of attendance at Bush Stadium on a Monday in late August with the way things are going right now, but nevertheless the fans that were there did applaud Carpenter before his first AB. Good to see him, you know, still sticking around. I know he's struggled this year with San Diego, but you know what? He got paid, so he's doing all right. Like, he got paid by the Cardinals, had that really good run with the Yankees, and then parlayed that into a, a, a juicy little contract with San Diego. So it's it's all working out for everybody as, as far as that is concerned. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the program. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Hit that subscribe button. I'll ask you once again if you enjoy the, the content. If you like fantasy football content, too, check out my other YouTube channel, youtube.com slash atbshaferffb, talking fantasy football as we uh, wrap up baseball season, and I uh, will continue to do stuff on this channel, obviously, talking Cardinals in the off season is going to be way more fun than talking about them now. But if you want to help me out, I need to get that thing to 1,000 subscribers so I can make a little bit of money from that one as well. And uh, you guys have been great supporters of me. So if you like football, check that out, youtube.com slash atbshaferffb. Let's go to you for now. Appreciate you guys as always. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.